Hello, this is, um, Mr. Nameless again. I know it's been a minute since I've uploaded. I've been doing a lot of stuff, but right now, I'm posting another episode. The story we're about to read is called The Wind, The Wind Whispered a Secret. I sat on my balcony, preparing to smoke the last cigarette of the night. It was late, and my bones themselves were tired. As I snuffed out the cigarette and stood with a stretch, a noise caught my attention. It was so faint that I immediately brushed it off as the wind and continued on to bed, the noise already out of my mind. The next morning, I returned to the balcony for more cigarettes and coffee. I watched the world wake up with me. The cars churning through the intersections like ants, the birds making their endless racket, the shadows growing steadily shorter as I watched and listened. I heard the noise again, for a moment. I thought it was a wind, since I could see the palm fronds moving across the road, squinting and looking down at nothing in particular. I tilted my head to try to hear it better. I, it wasn't just the wind, there was a voice. I tried to brush it off again and continued about my day, returning to the balcony once in a while for another cigarette. I found myself squinting and tilting my head each time, the world around me forgotten in favor of this whispering wind. I couldn't understand what it was saying. It was like the voice on the television in a room down the hall, stifled by three or four walls between us. No matter how much the noise around me died down, it was still so quiet. I had another cup of coffee along with my lunch, another cigarette to smoke, and the damned wind to keep, to keep my company as I sat on this damned balcony. I felt strange. I felt as almost I weren't myself, as if I were an actor in the screenplay of my life. I instinctively knew my lines and every move I had to make. I began to fear that voice in the wind. At dinner, I still sat on the balcony as I ate. I didn't want to eat, I just knew I should. I wasn't even sure what I was eating, but I still ate it out of necessity. I lit my cigarette and listened intently. I would hear what this voice said. I must hear this voice. For an hour, I sat still allowing my cigarette to burn down to my knuckles. I didn't move as I felt it sear my flesh. I would hear this voice. I would hear this voice and it would tell me its secret. I nodded off. I wasn't aware how long I had slept, but the sky was dark and the street lights lit. As I awoke, I had an idea. I would pretend to continue sleeping. I would lull it into the open. The crick in my neck bothered me only slightly as I waited for the wind to tell me what I so desperately wanted to know. From the morning, from the corner of my eye, I saw the moon rising high in the sky when I finally heard the voice again. It was clearer. No longer three or four rooms away. It was just on the other side of the wall. The, it was just on the other side of the wall. I could hear it. I could hear the words. My internal celebration was cut short, however, when I finally heard what the secret the wind had been keeping from me was.
The antipsychotics appear to be working, doctor. That was the first story. So, how's your guys' day been? Anything fun happened recently? I just got out of uh, spring break a little while ago. If you, if anybody has stories they want me to read for them, uh, just let me know. Uh, message me on Gmail if you, if you found my Instagram, you can uh, go on that. Right now, the story we are going to read is Return to Northridge, written by Tanak. This is, this is a sequel to the, the Village in the Shadows. Please read the story first here. Alright, so what we are going to do is read that story first. That was convenient. Village in the Shadows, written by Tanak. <clears throat> September 3rd, 1692. Northridge Village stood as it always had. Apart from most of the civilized world, it was a simple self-contained community consisting mostly of farmers and the simple village folk. On this late afternoon, bathed with the orange light of the setting sun in the village, looked, looked like a painting that renaissance artists would dream of crafting. The sun glittered off the high ends of, of the cross of Ch the Catholic Church and shone across the crowded streets. In a field, a farmer wipes the sweat off his brow, savoring a hard day's work, before the true trials of the harvest would ravish him. Outside, women are taking their washes off the line, humming a happy tune. The local smith would bang his hammer one final time before closing up shop. The laughter of children could be heard across heard through the streets as the young always managed to savor the joy well they could well they could for in this happy little village one simple truth lay supreme the folk of the village were blissfully unaware of the hardships of the new world they did not know nor care what sat upon the british throne However, this is one thing every member of Northridge Village knew that was never that never was out of sight. For the for this village sat at the base of the Carpathian Mountains, and the shadow of those peaks held the held more than just the cold in their dark depths. While most of the world was evolving and growing to believe that true evil lied within the murderers or thieves. 
heart, the people of Northridge knew much greater and more ancient evils. There were more graves in the town born of this evil than disease or the passage of time, and many of those graves were empty. The evil that plagued this town did not leave bodies for the families to mourn, nor, nor if they did, would they want to. Yes, this village knew evil, and evil knew, knew them very intimately. A group of children ran past town square, giggling and tossing a doll around. The owner of the doll, Little Gracie, pleaded with the other children to give her, give her doll back to the other children. Give her doll back, but the other children were reluctant to give up their fun. They tossed the doll just over the small girl's reach, with delighting in her frustrated screams. Come on, guys, this isn't funny, Gracie yelled. Really? Really, then maybe you should come over here because from where I'm standing, it's completely hilarious. Her older brother, Matt, replied. One of the older girls rolled her eyes at Matt. Come on, give her the doll. It's getting late. We need to get home. Matt heaved a sigh. Fine. Here you go, you little baby. Matt tossed the doll in the air towards his baby sister. However, the strange and powerful gust of wind pulled the doll back like a kite and it landed several feet away just on the outer, outer edge of the town past the graveyard. The wind stopped as quickly as it began and with, and with it and with it, the sound of laughter stopped. The children all stood frozen as the sun sank beneath the church st steeple, casting an, an early evening shadow over the field. They stood in silence, with the, with the only sound being their rag-raising pants out of their, gap, their gaping mouth. Go, go get it, Matt, please. No, I'm not going out, out there when the sun is going down. Matt said with almost equal panic to Gracie. The older girl walked over to Matt and grabbed his arm. <clears throat> this is your fault. You took the joke too far and you, you're going to fix it. Now go out there and make it quick. We shouldn't have been out this late. Matt gulped audibly but nodded his agreement. Matt began to slowly move through the graveyard like a man walking towards his death. He began to feel like Jack walking through the giant's lair. One wrong step could spell his doom. The sun started to cast long shadows from tree branches. Don't step on the shadows, he thought to himself. If you do, they can use their powers to drag you to their lair. With his mind so encasted in fear, he couldn't even remember if that was true or something that cho that the children made up. The whole world was silent, and even the breath in his lungs didn't make noise as if it was too afraid to wake the dead. His eyes scanned the many tombstones that surrounded him. So many died, so young, all for breaking the village's one rule that he himself was choosing to was close to breaking right now. He glanced at a tombstone and his blood ran cold as he could have sworn he saw his own name ran upon it. And it. And that the date was this one. He closed his eyes silent and silently mouthed, It's not real. It 
it's not real. He opened his eyes and saw the name wasn't his own, and the date was two years prior. He was closing in on the doll now. More feet and he could grab it, and then he would run, run as if the armies of hell were on his heels, for they, they very well could, but if... There very well could be if he didn't hurry. He took one final step and began slowly reaching for the doll. Just grab it and run. Grab it and never tease Gracie again, he pleaded to his shaking body. He fingertips, his fingertips touched the doll's hand, and as soon as it did, he felt the doll move in his grip. Terror gripped through Matt. He turned and ran like the wind. Don't let it get me, he prayed as he ran. Finally, he made it back to, to his friends. I felt it move. The damn thing is alive. The older girl gave him a smack on the head. Of course it moved, you little chicken. Look out, look out there. Matt turned and saw the wind was once again blowing only the opposite way. The wind had moved the doll. And here he was, screaming of, of devils. Please just run back and grab her, Gracie pleaded. Matt shook his head frantically. Not a chance, sister. Not tonight. I promise I'll go and get your doll tomorrow. If it's gone, I'll buy you a new one. Hell, I'll make you a new one personally. Right now, we don't... Right now, we need to get indoors, or those things will be the least of our worries. The older, gra the older girl looked at Gracie. Listen, I hate to agree with him, but he's right. We have, we've been out too long. The children ran off with only Gracie left to look out at the darkening graveyard road. Her little doll, Haley, Haiti, lay so close yet so far away. She stared at the doll as leaves swirled around in it fe its felt body. For the smallest movements, the little girl thought that she, the doll, sit up and start to wave at her. That was all she needed to turn tail and run home for her and run for her home. All across the town, people were moved into a frenzy. The wind had turned stronger and far more ominous. Father Gregor locked up the church and, stare and stared into the fo forest at the base of the mountain. They were coming tonight. Of that much, he was certain. The villagers had been careful as of late. The beasts would be growing hungry and hungrier. They got the dark, they got the darker and much more clever they became. They became. Though he could never go through with such a thing himself, he began to understand how his ancient ancestors might have also offered a sacrifice to please such a beast. The idea was abhorrent to say the least. However, the thought of a of a peaceful night's sleep was damn tempting. Damn tempting. The streets emptied as closed signs were flipped, doors were locked, and crucifixes were placed in almost every window. The town was cleared and only leaves moved in the streets. The last ray of the sun sunk beneath the horizon and a blanket of blackness spread over the sky. The village of Northridge, a town that is normally full of love and laughter, was put to rest. For in the hours of darkness, the town no longer belonged to the people, it belonged to them. But mommy, I can't sleep without Haiti. 
Gracie pleaded with her mother as she was being put to bed. Her mother sat on the bed and stroked her daughter's hair. I know, I'm sorry, baby, but you're you're getting to be a big girl now, and I know you are stronger than that. You just need to turn over and close your eyes. Before you know it, the morning sun will be streaming through your window, and everything will be all right. Her mother soothed, but what about Haiti? She's all alone out there, alone with them. Gracie, Gracie said, and shivers went through her body at the mere mention of them. Her mother laughed and continued to stroke her hair. Don't, don't worry about Haiti. They would have no interest in her. In morning light, we will go, we will go and grab her, and she will still have that big smile on her face. Then you could smack your brother upside the head with her. Gracie laughed at, at that, and her mom got up to exit. Mommy, why do we stay here? There are other places in the world. Places without evil, Gracie asked. Her mother lowered her eyes and shook her head. I know this is hard to understand, but evil is out there no matter where you go. It can come from any form, even those you trust. If you let evil push you, ar push you around, then you let it win, and its wickedness will spread. We have to stand firm against it to show it... Light is stronger than the darkness. Besides, as long as we are careful, they have no power over us. We hold the power, and even they know that. Gracie paused for a moment, then nodded. She wished her mother goodnight as she left her room. Gracie's mother was left to ponder her own words that even she didn't fully believe. <clears throat> the night was full now, and in this village, no one lit their lamps, no candles flickered in the dark. The only light was that, was that of one waning silver moon that shone through Gracie's window, bathing her in its cold and distant glow. Gracie lay awake, thinking about the world of the night. From time to time, travelers would pass through the town and pick up supplies for their journey. They would tell tales of, of a world where men, women, and children could walk through the peaceful night. She marveled at at the wonders of bonfires, lanterns, da lantern dances, and even midnight strolls. To her, the idea was far-fetched as traveling through, th through the stars, but they spoke with such conviction. She couldn't help but dream. She let out a sigh, for even at five years, five years old, she knew that a world without fear of the night is a world she would never see. She... She turned over and could feel herself slipping in, into the world of dreams when the sound of scratching came from her window. The sound froze her blood and, and caused her to shake uncontrollably. You can't get in here because I say so. If you ask, I'll say no. So, not, so since you're not welcome here, then please go, go, go. Gracie sang into the night. It was a song taught, taught by her mother to help her get through the scary moments. However, the little, little chant didn't, did little good for her now because the scratching continued and got louder. I said you can't come in, so please go, Gracie yelled through chattering teeth. Oh, Gracie, I'm so cold out here, a small but sweet voice from outside rang. Gracie's eyes was widened, for she knew that voice. It was particularly her own, but she knew the true owner was Haiti. It was the voice Haiti would use when they talked to each other at night.
Rissy turned in her bed and faced the window. There, standing on the narrow ledge, was Haiti, scratching the, at the glass. Haiti, you come, you come back? Rissy said in an excited tone. Yes, but why did you leave me out there? I was all alone and so scared. Why would you leave me like that? Haiti whined and sounded like she had tears in her eyes. I'm sorry, you... It was mean old Matt that did it, Gracie replied with a scorn in her voice. Haiti issued a laugh that actually unnerved Gracie slightly. Oh, I know, and you, and trust me, you, you and I are going to get him back. I have so many ideas on that. Gracie became afraid again. She had no doubt that Haiti was out there, but something had changed. Her perpetual smile that used... They used to bring her joy, now caused Gracie to break out in goosebumps. The doll's eyes, formerly completely vacant, had now had an intelligence and just a hint of malice tw twinkling in them. Oh, Gracie, I'm so cold out here. Won't you please let me in? Haiti pleaded. Gracie froze again, for those were the one words you could never obey at night, no matter what. You know I can't, you know, you know I can't, Haiti. You know the rules as much as I do. The doll seemed to twitch for a moment. Then, then someone older and wiser would have known to be associated with rage. The doll rightened itself, and if possible, the grin grew wider. That's okay, you don't have to let me in. Just open your window and pull me inside. Then we can be together and you never have to sleep alone again. <clears throat> Gracie gulped but looked hopeful. One quick grab and she could have her doll back and they could go off to dreamland together. Haiti would would stop the bad dreams. She always did. Gracie got out of bed and began to tiptoe to the window. That's it, Gracie. Prove to, prove to mean old Matt that you are braver than he is. Oh, how embarrassed he will be in the morning. You could hold that over his head forever, just, just like he held me over yours. Grace smiled. She could see Matt's face filled with shock and shame. She couldn't wait to tell, tell all his friends, especially the girl down the street, who even Gracie knew he fancied. Come open the window and, and, I, and I can play together, and you and I can play together all night. Gracie undid the window latch and could feel the cool breeze hitting her face. She had never felt a night breeze, and it felt wonderf wonderful in the stuffy room. Take my hand, Gracie, and we will be together forever. The doll's final words seemed to echo in Gracie's mind, and with no fear or hesitation, she reached out and grabbed Hades' felt body, and she closed her hands around the doll's other ha hand closed around hers. The, the hand was completely gray and had long claws on the end. With surprising strength, the hand pulled Gracie right out the window. Gracie looked down and issued the loudest scream her lungs could produce. The creature belonging to the hand was the most horrible thing she had ever witnessed. She had heard stories from the other children about what they looked like. They would say horrible things to try and scare her, and yet none of them that came close to the fiend they, that lay before her. The creature was a woman, or at least it used to be. Long, flowing black hair seemed to almost hover behind it slightly like a living cape. 
Her skin, or what remained of it, was the darkest and yet dullest gray she had ever seen. Her skin was peeling away in several places, revealing not only her bones, but also a manner of terrifying creatures crawling under the surface. <clears throat> Maggots, spiders, even centipedes seemed to make home in her body. The woman's fingers were long but crooked. As if they had been smashed with a hammer over and over again. Her mouth gaped and opened as two large to incisor fangs poked from her blackened gums. However, it was the eyes that frightened her the most. They were not the blazing red as she had been told, but jet black orbs that pierced into her soul. Gracie saw every nightmare she had ever had in those steps. Forever, the nightmare lady echoed once more. She stuffed Gracie into her arms and leaped into the night. Matt awoke at Gracie's scream, and in an instant he knew that he, that was not the scream of the of some dreamed nightmare, but a very real one. He got out of bed and ran. As soon and as soon as his feet touched the ground, he sprinted through through the house, knocking things over, but not caring one bit. He had to get to his sister. Nothing else mattered. He burst through her door and. His eyes went straight to the open window. No, he thought to himself. Gracie was young, but no fool. She would never open the window for them. Why, Gracie, why? His thoughts were broken by a horrifying cackle outside. His eyes narrowed in, and he could see his sister being carried away by, by some creature. All at once, nothing else mattered. Not the village rules, not his own safety. Only his sister mattered. He made it out of out of town to the edge of the woods, and to his surprise, he saw Gracie standing there. She stood by the edge of the trees, by the edge of the trees, shaking from from <clears throat> I'm sorry, my computer just went blank. She stood by the edge of the trees, shaking from head to toe. Gracie, thank God, come come to me, let's run home. Gracie did not move, but stood there, shaking and panting. Come on, come on, sister, nothing is going to hurt you now that I'm here. Please come to me, please, Matt begged. That was when he saw it, barely made out by the light of the moon, was a dark gray hand on her shoulder. Then out of the darkness, he... He, he could see multiple pairs of jet black eyes. There were eyes that shouldn't stand out in the dark, but nothing in nature was as black as these eyes staring at him. Matt loud out a deep breath. Please let her go. I offer my life for hers. I'm much bigger and much, I'm much more full of blood than she is. Matt begged at the, at the word blood. He could hear a loud puffing sound. The sound of predator of a predator scenting prey. In that moment, he could almost make out an outline of a gray face in the dark. Matt got to his knees and lower, lower 
his head. I offer my life and services to you. Feed on me. Turn me. Torment me for eternity. Just let her go, please. With his head down, he couldn't see but the sound of the creatures panting, growing louder. Then there was an unnatural silence, as if the universe itself held its breath. Then out of that silence came a cold, inhuman male voice. No. The voice rang, and Gracie was pulled into the forest. Gracie's screams rang through the night. Matt screamed back and got on his feet to run after her. A strong, a pair of strong arms wrapped, wrapped around Matt's chest and held him back. No, boy, you mustn't go out there. Matt knew that voice. It was the voice of Father Gregor. I know how you feel. Believe me, child. Believe me, child. But there is nothing more you can do. Matt continued to struggle and grunt, but it was no use. Finally, the sound of his sister's screams faded into the night. That was the night they... That would shape Matt's life forever. That was the night his sister was taken. Was taken by the vampires. <clears throat> and now, because we. Because I haven't posted in quite a long time, I'm deciding. To read Return to North Bridge. The sequel to Village in the Shadows. How long has it been since you've been here? Father Richard asked. Father Matthew barely heard his mentor's, mentor's words. His mind was a maze of horrors and memories. While well, he traveled down the familiar trail. It led to the place he both missed and dreaded above all others. The trail, the trail would lead him home. All of the leafless trees and whistling winds were like arrows pointing Matthew to the living nightmares that plagued him every single night. Matthew, are you alright? Father Richard pleaded. Matthew shook the ghost from his mind. Yes, I'm sorry. I have a lot on my mind. It's been almost 12 years since I've left. Since then, I haven't had so much of a letter from my family. Then again, I can't act surprised. My parents weren't the same after that night. Ever since... Ever since... Since Gracie was taken, Father Richard said with empathy and sadness in his voice. Father Matthew merely nodded and continued guiding his carriage down the trail. The sun was high, but Matthew felt not of... Not of its warmth nor its comfort. Watching the sun's position was second nature to him. All those who dwelled in the village, for those who dwelled in the shadows of the Carpathian Mountains, knew no solace in nightfall, only terror. Once the sun set beneath the hills, the world was handed over to the undead. All of Matthew's childhood, he lived in fear of the creatures who dwelled in the forest. The ones who 13 years ago took his sisters. They were the creatures of the night, the living dead, the vampires. After the night Gracie was taken, the village looked for the creature's lair, however, it could not be found. Matthew vowed then and there that he would do all he could to destroy them. He left for the, for the Vatican under the penitence 
of being trained as a priest. However, his true purpose was to gain knowledge of the undead. This is where he met Father Richard, a man who had his own run-ins with preachers of the night. For years, they have trained for this every day. They, the day that he would run, return home to complete his vow, their carriage stopped in front of a sign in the road. This, the horses went wild and began stamping around, searching, screeching in the cold. Send them back. They can go no further. From here out, we walk. Matthew said calmly and with regret. The two hopped off the carriage and Matthew... Matthew cringed as he hit the ground. The night Gracie was taken, Matthew leapt from a second-story window and broke his left leg. The wound had never fully healed and still flared up all these years later. Father Richard smacked the horses, sending them back the way they came. In silence, the two priests nodded and walked past the sign saying Northridge. trail turned several degrees colder, as if the sun's heat lived in fear of the forest and stayed away. The air held an unnatural silence, and even their footsteps seemed to be muffled. Even with hours of daylight before them, both men felt a strong unease about them. What is our first move? Father Richard asked. Matthew didn't turn his head and kept looking straight straight ahead towards his village. We head straight into the church and meet my old mentor, Father Gregor. He has been looking for the creature's lairs for years. I only hope he had some information that could help us. From there, we we grabbed some supplies from the Matthew cut himself off mid-sentence. What's wrong, boy? There's no noise. The forest is always quiet, but we should all but we should be able to hear the sound of the village by now. Matthew began to pant and run, and, and then ran out in a full-on run. His mind mind was full of dark thoughts and endless despair. He knew what the silence likely meant, but he could be wrong. He had to be wrong. He came to a grinding halt just outside the village gates, and, his, and, his, he mouth, and his mouth hung ajar. The hanging upside down from the gate were members of his own village. Their necks had been torn apart and their skin sunken in as every drop of blood had been drained. Matthew wanted to vomit, but turned and run away, screaming. But instead he made his way into the village and was disturbed at what he had found. The village had always particularly belonged to the dead, but now they had completely ruled it. All across the town square were corpses laying laying around in every corner. Some looked as if they had been dragged from their homes, some were impaled on Finn's posts, and all had looked of absolute terrors on their faces. Matthew turned round and round, unable to comprehend the level of true terror he felt. This can't be. They were all so careful, who have survived here for centuries. How could this have happened? Matthew panted. Father Richard examined one of the corpses. They died recently. I would say sometime last night. Matthew shook his head, trying to make sense of the situation. It doesn't make sense. Why attack now and wipe out their food source? The only reason they would strike now is if they knew. 
Matthew's eyes widened and he hobbled down the all-too-familiar path to the house on the corner, his home. He burst through the front door. Mom, Dad, I'm here. Please, where are you? Matthew's eyes darted around until he saw the open basement door, a door that wore jagged claw marks. Matthew ran down the stairs, pleading to God that he wouldn't find what he feared. As he hit the bottom of the stairs, it would seem as if God had forsaken him. They were laying on the cold stone floor with their necks broken where were his parents. Their faces looked up at him, and unlike every other dead face in the town, they did not look at him with fear, but with sadness. Father Richard put his hand on Matthew's shoulder, and the boy wept deeply. Matthew knelt in front of his mother and rubbed her face. He felt something then that both chilled his spine and boiled his blood. He began frantically feeling the bodies and hot tears stream down his face. They are full of blood. Not one drop was spilled. Those bastards, they didn't, they didn't do this to feed or turn them. They did this in cold blood. Father Richard turned his head. They did this to send a message, and there it is. Father Richard pointed to the to the back wall, and and Matthew followed the gesture. There, carved into the solid stone, were two simple words. Welcome home. <clears throat> they knew we were coming. The only people I told were my parents, and the undead must have found out. Matthew, Matthew said between tears, the undead have, have many ways to spy on us, even as they rest. Richard explained. Matthew shook his head. You don't understand. For generations, this village had stood against them and survived in one night. They were taken out, all because I was coming home. I got them all killed. Matthew rested his head on his knees and wept deeply. Father Richard knelt down and put his hands on Matthew's face. No, my boy, they killed your parents. Fight against evil is nothing short of a war, and in war there are casualties. Some of them in innocent. You are no more responsible for these people's deaths than when they took your sister. Direct your anger towards them and not yourself. Matthew looked up at his mentor, and his sad eyes turned determined. The two so slowly stood and nodded at each other. They were about to leave when Matthew saw something out the corner of his eye. There, underneath the message on the wall, was something very familiar and equally upsetting. Sitting against the wall was his sister's favorite doll, Haiti. His sister had lost her life going after that stupid thing. Blind rage boiled through Matthew as he stared down at the felt doll. They dared taunt him with his memories of Gracie. And he was going to rip that doll's head off to send them a message. He rushed towards the doll, and the moment he did, several things happened at once which, which could seal his fate. Matthew tripped the wire, which was attached to the cellar door. The door slamming sent several heavy sandbags placed, placed above it. Neither man saw, their, saw in their rush down here. The door was barricaded, and just like that, the men were sealed in a tomb. They set a trap. The creatures have sealed us down here like, like we're rabbits, and we fell right for it. Richard exclaimed, and it was the first time Matthew had heard real fear in the man's voice. 
They intend to keep us here until sundown, and, and then we will be helpless to stop them. Matthew dropped to the floor and it took all he could not to sob uncontrollably. He had let his hatred and sadness get the better of him, and now they were doomed because of it. Matthew is, Matthew is there, another way out. A window, a storm door, anything. Father Richard begged. Matthew shook his head. No, the only door is that... That No, that door is the only way in or out. Father only used this place to store and harvest, and Matthew blurted up quickly. It was a small chance, but they might be able to be saved. He was sure the undead removed all his father's tools, but only he knew of, a, of the broken axe his father had refused to throw away. He merely put it on, in the hay under the stairs. Matthew dug through the hay until he rested his hands on the axe with a broken handle. The blade was rusted almost completely and would be no good cutting down a tree, but Matthew believed it would it would be more than enough to break down the old basement door. He rushed open he rushed up the stairs and with all his might began chopping at the rotting wood, which each swing he could feel the years of his training powering through him and in a few minutes the door was nothing but splinters. Father Richard gave him a pat on the back and stepped over the sandbags and into the living room. Matthew kissed the blade of the axe and, and slipped it into his belt as a good omen. Come on, we need to get to the church quickly. Each man at loss could be deadly. Father Richard exclaimed. The two ran down the street past the carnage of the town, of the town o over the church. Just as they feared, laying on the steps of the stairs was Father Gregor's corpse. Father Richard made the sign on the cross and bowed his head. Matthew knelt down in front of the, the former mentor, mentor, a man who had saved his life as a boy. Gregor's throat was cut and he was covered in blood. Well, now how are we supposed to find the beast's lair? Father, Ri Father Richard asked with his head down. Ooh, okay, tap out, time out, time out. I just cut the absolute shit out of my hand. Okay, give me a minute, give me a minute. The episode will resume shortly. Okay, we're good now. Put a band-aid on it, we're good. Now, where was I? Oh, okay. Father Richard made the sign on the cross and bowed his head. Matthew knelt down and knelt, knelt down in front of his former mentor, a man who saved his life as a boy. Gregor's throat was cut open and he was covered in blood. Well, now how are we supposed to find the beast's lair? Richard asked with his head down. Matthew shook his head and stared at the fallen man before him. Gregor's bloody fingers stretched towards the heavens, but when Matthew followed its point, it was, in fact, pointing at the wooden cross over the, over the church doors. Matthew's eyes narrowed, then widened as he believed 
as he beheld what was on the cross's base. There, drawn in blood, was a message from Gregor, under the mountain, hidden by the thorns. Realization hit both of them, as these were directions to the very lair of the, of the fiends. He wrote it on the cross, so the undead wouldn't be able to touch it. This is how we find them. Do you know what he is talking about? Richard declined. Matthew nodded slowly. When we were searching for Gracie, there was part of the woods at the base of the mountain that was unpassable due to thick thorn brushes. We thought even the undead wouldn't be able to pass them, but we must have been wrong. We need to head there now. Father Richard looked up at the sky with worry. The creatures may not have trapped us, but they held, they held us up considerably. We have only a matter of hours of daylight remaining. Perhaps we sh should hide out until the morning and go with a full day ahead of us. Matthew shook his head. We can't risk that. Somehow they brought down my whole village in the night, and I won't risk holding out if we don't know how. We can't afford to fight them on their terms. We need to strike now, and when now we'll have well, 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 we while we have the advantage. Father Richard considered for a moment, and and, and then nodded. Then let us move and trust the Lord to guide us. The two walked into the woods. Each stepped to their feet, causing their heart rate, heart rate to raise. As they drew closer to the mountain, the temperature dropped rapidly, and they both know. They both knew what that meant. The shadows cast from the sinking sun almost seemed to be reaching for them, and Matthew was filled with the familiar fear from his childhood. However, he was no longer a mere boy tiptoeing through a graveyard, but a man who, has, who had trained half his life for this very moment. He could not let his childlike fear distract him from his mission. For Gracie and his whole village, he had to take a stand against the evil on his doorstep. The two made the, their way to the thick grove of thorn brushes that blocked the bottom of the mountain. The two looked around carefully, but they could not understand how they could, how they could get through without days of cutting through the bushes. The undead could fly or turn into mist through this, but I have no idea how we could possibly get through. Father Richard said while, while scratching his chin, Father Gregor must have found a way or he could, couldn't be sure it was their lair. Matthew replied. The two looked around more, and then Matthew noted, Matthew noticed a small clearing of thorns. He got on his knees to discover a small tunnel large enough for them to crawl through, but likely would not be noticed by the undead. Clever man, he must have cleared this for us. This might have been one of his final actions. We can't let it go to waste. There won't be room for our packs, so we need to equip ourselves now. Bring only what you can manage, but what, but what we need to travel light. The two sat down and began unpacking their bags. 
In them was a, an assortment of ancient and more modern vampire killing tools. Silver blades, wooden stakes, crosses, holy water, pieces of the host, hawthorns, everything they would need to defend themselves. Remember your training. A wooden stake can stun a vampire indefinitely, but, but they will not be truly dead until you cut off their head. Do not listen to their words. For they contain a compulsion. Keep your mind clear of strong thoughts that they can read. All else, my boy, never lose your faith. These weapons can hurt them, but but they are only as strong as your belief. Otherwise, they are mere trinkets. Richard ex explained. I remember my training well, father. Matthew said it with a smile on his face. The two nodded to each other and began their slow crawl through the thorns. Gregor had done a good job with his tunnel, however, both Matthew and Richard were a good deal larger than an elderly priest had been, for, for movement had to be precise, for they could not risk the undead detecting their presence. Matthew could see the end of the tunnel and began to quicken his pace. He was so near his goal now, he, he could almost taste it. His quick movement was just as swiftly punished as a solitary thorn pierced his cheek and caused a small cut along his cheek. Matthew watched as a drop of blood slowly fell from his face and plopped into the soil below. Instantly, he froze, and everything around him went silent. The undead would, would always crave fresh blood above all else, and he was bleeding right onto their doorstep. Matthew waited for a hand to burst through the sand and tear his throat to shreds. However, it would seem fortune had favored them as they detected no taint of evil around them. Matthew let out a sigh and continued onwards to the end of the tunnel into freedom. The two men stand, stood in the great shadow of the mountain before them. This would be the perfect place for the undead to rest, for almost no sign of light would shine here. Through the brambles, they could see the bare minimum of light peeking through. They had about two hours of sunlight maximum left to them, and every second wasted increased their danger. The two scanned the area, and it did not take long for them to find what they were looking for. There, beat out of the ancient stone of the mountain, was a small cave door. The two stared at the gaping black hole before them, and their blood went cold. The presence of evil didn't just linger in this place, but seemed to be eminent from its very depths. It was as if they were in the presence of the birthplace of evil itself. Father Richard put his hand on Matthew's shoulder and turned him towards him. Listen here, lad, and listen closely. Over the past years, we have been hunting these foul creatures. We have invaded their hiding places and cities, but we have never encountered a natural lair before. No one has ever entered the home of a vampire and survived to document it. Therefore, therefore, we are entering uncharted territory. Yes, we have sunlight still, but there, there in the very belly of the beast, we have no idea in if that will help us. We have no idea what creatures, traps, or wards may be in place. We have never faced anything like this and likely never will again. Now I understand if you want 
want to go in there. But you need to understand that if you do, there may be no coming out. Now, are you truly prepared? Matthew considered the priest's words for a moment, but, but only a moment. This was his purpose ever since he heard his sister's screams echo through the forest all those many years ago. He could not turn away, even on death's door. He would fear no evil, nor death. Matthew said nothing and merely nodded. Richard nodded back and simply said, May the grace of the Lord protect us. With no more words needed, the, the two knelt down and entered the cave where victory or death would await them. The first thing they, the two noticed was the door. The entire cave reeked with the, sin, the odor. The entire, the, the entire cave reeked with the stench of decay. The further they, the two went in, in, the worse it became, and there was not a sin, a scant bit of wind to provide relief. The darkness here was so was also overwhelming. As past his, as part of his training, Matthew spent a great deal of his time in the dark, so he would be able to adjust quicker to its, to its blinding embrace. However, it did little good here. The setting sun at their backs had also been forgotten in darkness. True darkness wrapped itself around them like a serpent. Exploring a cave in, in the pitch black was was a death sentence, so every so even though stealth was imperative, they had to have that that sacrifice for their safety. Father Richard produced a bit a pair of small torches and then lit them with some flint in his pocket. The flames burst to life, but Matthew had never seen fire be so still for nothing but the breath in their lungs moved it. The cave walls were were bleak with no shine nor luster. They were a dull they were a dull yet darker gray and that Matthew found to be disturbingly familiar, and he moved his flame around the walls to make sure there were no faces staring back at them. Slowly, they made their way through the cave tunnel, and to Matthew's shock, he would have pre preferred to be back in the thorns. This place had an unnatural feel to it. He could see dying vines on the wall, oozing black liquid, liquid as if n nothing living was permitted to grow in the lair. The dirt beneath them had a soggy, rotten quality to it, as if they were inside a bog. Perhaps the most unsettling thing was the eerie, the eerie quiet about the whole place. There was no sound of dripping water, no sounds of creatures, even their footsteps seemed to be muted here. The soft crackling of the fire sounded like mighty, like mighty roars in this silent cave. Their passage began to widen as they came to the first antechamber. The room seemed enormous, and and even the radius of their torch could not detect the walls around them. The air was humid here. A few odors seemed to join the smell of the dead. The smell was different, but no less slightly in both. Men had to stifle a gasp. All around them were creatures of the night. Great brown, brown and black bats hung from hung from the rocks, still asleep with their wings folded. All manners of crawlers in the 
in and out of the holes in the walls in search of fresh food. High, high in the rafters, the men could see spiders larger than any on record sitting in the middle of their webs. Stuck inside the sticky threads were bodies and bones of creatures. Some were as small as mice, others were the size of full birds of prey, all made to be prisoners by their arachnid wardens. Father Richard grabbed Matthew and pulled him towards to towards the far mall away from the creatures. They did not need words to tell each other that that it would that it would be unwise to alert these sentinels of the undead. The two found another tunnel, this one going down and and they made their descent. Here, the mountain, any concept concept of time seemed moot. But the two knew the sundown was fast approaching. Soon the undead would rise, and the two had no doubt that their keen senses would be able to tell there were two intruders in their midst. They would be alerted all they may be alerted already. Despite rep reports to the contrary, the further two went into the earth, the colder it became until they could see the midst of their breath escaping their mouth. The two came to a narrow passage that they had to contort themselves just to fit through. Matthew took extra time as he moved slowly, as he slowly moved his face near a particular sharp piece of stone. A mistake like he made in the thorn brushes would be nothing short of deadly here. Finally, the two men made it through, and what what they found made their hearts stop in their chests for a moment. They had entered another antechamber. This was lower. This one was lower, but much larger around. Unlike the rest of the cave, this was gently illuminated by blood red stones, whose glow seemed to wax and wane almost as if it was breathing. The two men extinguished their torches, not wanting to see any sound to permeate here. For the middle of the room was, was the very thing they had sought. There are those who believe that the undead sleep in coffins. Many imagined had been drawn, drawn of dark and perfect funeral caskets of the, for the vampires to call home. This was a simple matter of of humanizing concept that was in no way human. Before the men were several, the two men were several husks of materials. There were several husks of material to make a tomb. The coffins were made made of mud, bone, and mold. They were not the perfectly designed caskets of man, but but crude, almost tribal beds of soil. Each one held one one of the undead sleeping until the moment to rise found them. Slowly, they made their way to the burial mounds and silently nodded to each other. The two men had been fortunate in that they had managed the element of surprise. Each man put a cross over their necks. and placed a wooden stake in their hands. They would have to move fast, but if they could stake each creature before one raised the alarm, they could complete their mission without without a scratch. That was until the glowing rocks and gems illuminated the room dimmed and went out completely. 
The two men stood in the pitch blackness around them, not even daring to take a breath. The silence that had tormented them was finally starting to break. Above them, they could hear the sounds of wings opening and spiny legs beginning to prod about as the sentinels began to stir. Then as much closer and more on 